0: The Steve N. Allen, podcast
1: with Steve N. Allen. Hello and welcome to this podcast extra bit. Last week I released a podcast and it's like a version of Stephen Allen's week. I look at the news, but basically that means talking about the coronavirus these days, is not it? It was the same back with the Spanish flu in 1918. All the podcasts then only talks about that and no one mentioned the other big news of the year, like the fact that the Nobel Prize for Chemistry went to Fritz Haber for synthetic production of ammonia and... And that was big news. The harbour process is still taught in schools in chemistry. Uh, The Nobel Prize for physics in that year went to Max Planck for discoveries in connections with quantum theory. And in 1918, the Nobel Prize for medicine, well, none was awarded. But that makes sense. I suppose the doctors were busy not finding a cure for the Spanish flu. And you can't reward failure. These people were not CEOs of big companies. Anyway, the point is, in the podcast we had me doing some jokes about the news then, the guest of the week Johnny Gould. I edited his chat down because I thought podcast should be about 20 minutes. I don't know why. It's not like people are busy these days. But here in the podcast extra special feature, I thought we'd play the full chat with Johnny Gould. We talk homeschooling, the impact that the lockdown can have on future generations and some stuff about social distancing too. Enjoy. The Steve and Allen podcast. So, on the podcast, we are speaking with broadcasters, some of the finest minds when it comes to speaking out loud from their mouth hole. Uh, to get their take on what's happening this week, I'm delighted to be joined by radio legend, the master of the podcasting arts. It's Johnny Gould. Hello. Oh, Steve, it's an
0: absolute pressure to be with you.
1: <laughs> it should as well. How, how are you coping? Because you're in your home, I'm in my home. That is a It's an intro that's not needed these days because no one's allowed out. But how are you doing?
0: Um, Thank goodness uh, we've got a reasonable amount of space, not the biggest house in the world, but uh, we do have a place to eat, to sleep, to walk around and, I don't know, panic in different rooms from each other, but not that much space. The upside, that is, but the downside is a little bit different, which is that my kids are off school and they're aged four and five, and now I'm a homeschooler, which used to be the preserve of only hippies (laughs) from California taking their kids around the world in the vw trailer and now i'm homeschooling my kids i'm not very good at it it is it is really taxing what's the the hardest subject getting them to do anything when they're dmob happy (laughs) anything anything and they've become kevin the teenager eight years before their schedule
1: Right, I, I see. I when I heard that people were homeschooling because of coronavirus, straight away I thought that's not going to work because you've got no power. You can't threaten to ground a child when they, they can't leave the house anyway.
0: Exactly right, and we can't. I can't get them to do anything, and that's the really. I mean, even now in the background, I have a screaming child. Um, not wanting to put her trousers on, so that we can go out to the park on this day of days. I mean, the weather is trolling us in here, isn't it? So is it? It's been. But is it
1: that she doesn't want to go to the park, or she doesn't want to go to the park in trousers? Because I totally understand that point of view.
0: <laughs> she just doesn't want to do anything, and they know we're under pressure as parents. It's an exciting time to be involved with the kids. We'll look back at this time and think um, it was wonderful to spend so much time. Uh, in this development with them. Um, but on the downside, I'm thinking about uh, my kid being such a, particularly the older one, being such a great learner. And she's taken all that she learned in the last few weeks of school, brought it back with her to this time, but she's not benefited from the last three or four weeks. I'm sure she'll catch up, but I, I can't help but thinking there are some aspects of behavior that she'll have learnt. In detriment from being locked away, certainly a life experience that you and I never went through. That's true.
1: Well, I wouldn't worry too much about catching up because this, in a sense, impacts everyone. So no one's learning. It will be a generation who are just not good at spelling and long division, and we'll just make our peace with it. <laughs> um,
0: but they are—you're right. Well, they are sponges. the key workers. Oh, you know, yeah. The key, the key workers. And um, my missus, Karine, uh, she turned to me and said, "Oh." Mazes at school with four other children, and they've merged them all into the older children's class. So she's really benefiting from one-on-one teaching, and she's getting the benefit of older children teaching her. And just getting into that sort of panic that um, some parents, not me particularly, because I think there's beauty in education beyond school. You know, that's what I I
1: mean. That education beyond school right now is just in your four walls. They are sponges at that (coughs) age, and all they're absorbing is what you're teaching. That's the worry. Uh,
0: Exactly. And we're going to keep the tape on here and say, listen, darling, don't knock on the door because (laughs) I'm on uh, the world's most important and influential podcast with Steve and Alan of the Mash Report. So, my darling, can I just do that quickly? You get a dress. Okay, ask mummy. No. Okay, I'll come quickly and do that. You can decide whether to keep this on the podcast or not oh, at this later stage. Which I'll keep it in. You want that one? This
1: is, this is teaching fashion at school. No wonder they're not learning. This is what's wrong with, with homeschooling. They're not doing proper subjects. You're doing picking dresses. No wonder your kids aren't going to be keeping up with the key workers. Although, actually, I've just worked it out. If this were like a film, the students, the children of the key workers who have this extra tuition at a greater level, will be geniuses and they will go on and they will do medical research and plot twist in about 10 years time, they'll be the ones that uh, cure
0: coronavirus. (laughs) (laughs) There is that and you're actually getting onto the second part of the conversation which, with my wife, which uh, I said, look, there's much more to education than just school. I assure you that they will have brought something back from this lockdown into their new wherewithal as young children. And my children, as I mentioned, are four and five. They They're the same sex and they play with each other. Okay, And they are like little mini Bronte sisters. They have their (laughs) little world. And I think they're sort of making up a sort of little world for themselves that we as just mere parents can't get in for now we're safe, we're a unit, but I can see a schism between the next generation and us building as they develop their own world, playing together as they do. It's a beautiful sight yeah. to behold. And you know, I love how you bring in um, positivity
1: through it. Is- it's a difficult time. I've had a difficult, everyone's had a difficult week and you found a positive angle. This is a generation of children who will stay indoors, never leave the house because of what happened to them in 2020 and it will improve carbon emissions. So we've sa- you've saved the world with your kids, Johnny. That's what you've done. Well,
0: well, I'd like to think that I've put a little bit back into society, with big society, as old Cameron used to say. Uh, but but um, in our day at school, I'm a, I think I'm a little bit older than you, Steve. We had, a, we had a lockdown of school for a sort of three or four days when the oil wouldn't arrive uh, in the school and um we were sort of knocked off school for a bit and that was a bit exciting and it was during the winter so everyone went sledging in the park where there were hills but there was nothing nothing like this nothing week after week after yeah. week
1: now i should explain um, on that think, point um because i know i i'm from work, we're both from working class backgrounds there'll be some middle class people listening to this who think what well, just because the balsamic doesn't arrive they just they don't have any any extra virgin couldn't they just use normal virgin um it was a different oil you'd talking about
0: yeah yeah it was um it was a 20w50 or as we <laughs> called it in birmingham ub ub 40
1: <laughs> so yeah i suppose like everyone's got weird things from their childhood maybe you, maybe you're right to not worry that this will actually be an, an enriching experience in a different way and who's to judge what's right and wrong
0: i'm not worried because i was not very good at school and i left grammar school age 16 uh, and went to a sort of A-level um, college where I struggled just above the relegation <laughs> zone, uh, finished, finished third bottom uh, it, it, on the last day of June and ended up uh, working pretty soon after. Um, so actually, that was a very, very interesting moment because 1983, we we're in the depths of probably the worst recession that the Midlands could have ever gone through because the factories were closing down mm-hmm. forever. And I remember our careers teacher at school, who was also the French teacher, because careers didn't really mean very much at that (laughs) time. He said, you're going to have to pass your exams because there are only 21 jobs in Birmingham through the whole city. And you're going to have to get your A-levels and get an education." he said. And by 1985, two years later, after college, where I did politics and economics, and as I say, I got a D and a, an O, I think, in my A-levels, <laughs> a useful O-level, another one, very useful, thank you. Um, but by that time, um, it had all turned around, and there was a sort of, the start of a bit of a boom going on, wasn't there, in the sort of latter Thatcher years? Um, and and then it sort of all picked off and, and just changed completely. So... Um, It's not changed this time. We are facing an economic downturn of depression levels. But I am optimistic that things will turn around very, very fast because I think there's a collective will. Uh, to save the world, as Gordon yeah. Brown said. And
1: the other thing I love when people talk about, they find the things in history to relate it to. So it could be, for America, as bad as the Great Depression. They talk about the biggest um, uh, drop in share prices since the 80s. Would well, you know what? We survived as a world, the, the 30s, the 40s, all the way up. So we even survived what happened in the 80s. So it doesn't, in a sense, doesn't matter how bad it's going to be, we'll definitely survive it.
0: You know what? There have been downturns of a hysterical level in my work career almost from the start uh, that my parents didn't quite have. They had sort of oil embargoes in the 1970s and they had massive inflation. But what we had were huge, as you say, um, recessions in the 1980s where the stock market crashed and then that the property bubble crashed in the sort of late uh, 80s, early 90s. Uh, the Gulf Wars actually changed things. 9 11 uh, damaged things too. Um, and then, sort of, we go forward to the credit crunch in 2008, which we are still living, Steve, I think, with the consequences of that the corporatization of society, the fact that the small business person can't sort of compete with the big guys because they're too big. And just who knows what this coronavirus will bring. I think rather than corporatization, of society. We're going to start seeing nationalisation of it. So those two competing pressures in our pluralistic society will be very, very interesting, as John Martin would say. <laughs>
1: Nicely done. I love the fact that, uh, I, who'd have thought we'd get you on, and you come up with all the lefty points about nationalising stuff. Woo, never thought you'll never work in talk yeah, based well, radio ever um, again, if you have that attitude.
0: Well, I must say, I'm not a fan of it. I'm, I'm not a fan of nationalisation. Um... And there's an awful lot of virtue signalling about nationalisation. You know, obviously, we're seeing uh, both left and right starting to talk about the nationalisation of the railways, which may or may not be a good idea if we remember British Rail sandwiches from the 1970s and two Ronnie's jokes about that era. Um, But the thing is, it's almost nationalised anyway, because two thirds of your ticket price is subsidized by central government anyway. So they're only toying at the idea of yeah. privatization anyway. So that's an easy, easy thing for them to do. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, we've there's this kind of been too much globalization and too much nationalization. And I think we should try and get back to our nation of shopkeeperism that Napoleon so 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 so
1: so the problem with that is you're only allowed three people in a shop at any one time it's been bizarre (laughs) it's like when i used to be at school and they had signs up saying only two school kids in and then you become a grown adult and you think what's one of the one of the benefits of paying tax and being near a death is that i can go in a shop no matter how many people are in turns out no same rules as i grew up with (laughs)
0: Not anymore. And by the way, uh, in the park where they're now drawing very helpful, temporary yellow bits of paint on the line, showing you what two Mm. metres is. Um, Keep your distance two metres. At my local park, I'm pretty sure that's one (laughs) metre. Uh, and that, that's why all the coppers are running around because, uh, you know, they've been doing their own measurements based upon this very clumsy bit of yellow they setting
1: yourself up for one of those all right, ladies, type jokes. Like, if that's two metres, right? all, all right? All right. <laughs>
0: I'll, li- I'll leave you that, to do that's that. That's what
1: I'm uh, Johnny.
0: I'll, I'll be here for. Johnny. I'll
1: be your Sid <laughs> Oh, bless. Oh, and then you've touched another emotional oh. one. But look, we're, we're out of time, and I know you've got to go, and um, I, I imagine you've got double maths to teach in the afternoon, so that'll be tricky.
0: I really don't. Please, please, please keep me on. Please keep me on the podcast. I'm here for about another, um, I don't know, two weeks. Yeah,
1: enjoy every moment of it. If you need help with long division, don't ask me. Um, And meanwhile, we say thank you very much for that. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and speaking to another human, which is rare these days, uh, broadcaster, legend of the airwaves, uh, Johnny Gould.
0: It's been my absolute pleasure, Steve, and I hope to see you in the flesh very soon. Imagine that, seeing those were the days. Ooh. <laughs> touching. And
1: that was the full conversation I had with guest of the week, Johnny Gould. If you missed the main podcast, go back and listen, because... I talked about a lady's arse with Prince William. I really did. You should definitely hear it. So have a look on somenews.co.uk or tweet me at Mr. Stephen Allen and I will furnish you with all kind of links. The next episode will be out by the end of the week. Till then, bye. The Stephen Allen Podcast with Stephen Allen.